This podcast was recorded Thursday, January 4th at 10.32 a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Like the job of being a college president will be attractive again. Let's talk politics. This is Snollygoster, WOSU Public Media's weekly look at Ohio politics and all those Snollygosters, those shrewd politicians who look for your vote, especially in even-numbered years where we are right now. I'm Mike Thompson. Coming up in the podcast, the city of Athens. They go rogue on plastic bags. They get our Snollygoster of the Week award. But first, for the second time in the past few months, Governor Mike DeWine has reminded the state legislature there is a third branch of government, and it has some power. First, he vetoed a ban on local bans on flavored tobacco products. Lawmakers wanted to keep cities like Columbus from banning sales of fruity vaping. DeWine said no, cities can do that if they want, so he vetoed that bill, and lawmakers now are trying to override that little bit of defiance. Then the governor really went against many in his party when he vetoed a bill that would have banned doctors from providing many forms of care, health care, for transgender minors. And it would have banned transgender girls from participating on female sports teams in high school and college. Opponents of the ban say it would prevent transgender teens from getting life-saving care. Now, supporters of the measure claim transgender care for minors can cause permanent damage and allowing trans girls to participate on female teams is unfair. The governor said it was not an easy decision. He faced pressure from the right who have targeted transgender rights. Before making his decision, he met with opponents of the ban, which included healthcare professionals as well as transgender people and their families. In the end, Governor DeWine used conservative principles in vetoing the bill. Families are basing their decisions on the best medical information that they can get. The decision to move forward should only be reached if the child, the child's parents, and the medical team all agree that that is the right decision. Were I to sign House Bill 68, or were House Bill 68 to become law, Ohio would be saying that the state, that the government, knows better what is medically best for a child than the two people who love that child the most, the parents. A thoughtful Governor Mike DeWine, the governor also maintains sports associations, not the government, should regulate high school and college sports. Joining us to discuss the governor's veto and the path forward is Senate Minority Leader Nikki Antonio, the first openly gay person to serve in that position. She voted against the bill the governor has vetoed. Leader Antonio, welcome back to Snollygoster. Well, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good, right? Anyway, um, were you surprised by the governor's veto? Well, um, I wasn't totally surprised because there had been a lot of conversations 
uh, swirling that whole week before. I knew that families were talking to the governor, visiting with the governor. I had a, at least one conversation with the governor and also a numerous conversations with his team. And so I knew that what the governor was doing was something, frankly, I think we could all emulate, which is he was doing his due diligence. He was really digging in and trying to understand a very complex issue in order to come up with his decision. I mean, I applaud not only the final decision that he made to veto the bill, but I also applaud um, the process that he went through, the discernment that he went through in order to arrive at this decision, which politically uh, goes against uh, clearly some of the members of his own party. In your discussions with him, did you have to lobby hard or was it more of an informational type discussion? A lot of it was informational. Mm -hmm. It's always respectful to have a comp for me to have a conversation with the governor. Um, he's available. He's respectful. Um, but he doesn't give a lot away, I will just say. Um, <laughs> so he uh, he did tell me uh, the process he was going through. But beyond that, I really didn't know what his decision was going to be until and you never know ultimately until you hear it publicly. So do you think he was undecided when he talked to you? I think I perhaps. Yeah. yeah, I think he still was in the process. It was about a day before or a day or two before um, the final decision. Hmm. Uh, you know, his reasoning is pretty logical for a conservative who likes limited government. Um, why have you not been able to convince other Republicans of this thinking? That is the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, you know, maybe it's too logical. Maybe it makes too much sense. And maybe it's too, um, too clearly, solidly, and foundationally in common sense and compassionate um, consideration. Because what we've seen with this bill um, that's a combination of two bills that came to us from the House, as well as many of the other bills we're seeing across the country that, um, frankly, just fan the flames of the culture wars. And I believe that's specifically what they're intended to do. They have no grounding in science. They have no grounding in common sense or common decency. They're all about fanning the flames of the culture wars. Now, there are some some studies and it's even some Western European health organizations and experts have 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 wondered about permanent damage, possible permanent damage or per, per, permanent side effects from, say, puberty blockers on on transgender children going through it. Is that something that you're concerned about? Because there is there is conflicting science there. Well, again, I think that's why we should be leaving this up to the parents of minors uh, to in consult with their physicians and the medical community, as well as mental health care providers who are all a part of that team when they meet to make those kinds of decisions. You know, it's interesting to me that the uh, some of the very words that the governor used to describe why why parents should be the ones because they know best for their children and medical professionals need to weigh in, not politicians and not policymakers. I find it fascinating. Those are my arguments for this. 
um, for this legislation, but they've also always been my arguments for a woman's right to make the, her own decisions about whether or not to have an abortion, about reproductive rights and care. Yeah. Uh, fascinating, isn't it? Well, they would argue that it, it is different in that if you consider the, the fetus to be a, a human life, that it's, 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 a, it's a more permanent medical procedure than, than uh, gender-affirming care. Uh, but anyway, the override requires a three-fifths support from each chamber. The veto override process would begin in the House. Speaker Jason Stevens wants a vote perhaps as early as next week. How do you see this process playing out? You know, I have no I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I I am fatigued by this. I am baffled. Um, I consistently wonder what in the world the urgency is. Um at a time, you know, I don't know if you saw the report, but just just this past week, we saw a report that said from 2011 to 2021, firearm fatalities increased by 87% for young children. Firearms continue to be the leading cause of death among young children. If this legislature really cared about the the lives of young children, wouldn't we be focused on uh, curbing some of that that we actually have a say in as far as policy goes, rather than trying to uh, quash the rights of a very tiny group of members of the LGBTQ community um, and their parents? I, I, I am puzzled. I continue to be baffled why we had to start the year um, with this is the top priority of of the Republican Party in the state of Ohio, the Republican legislature. Depending on who votes, opponents of this measure, like yourself, would need three to four lawmakers to change their vote. Are there three or four lawmakers out there willing to to change their original vote in favor of this this ban on care and on you know, participation hope, in sports? I'm hope, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I, okay. I'm I'm hoping that there are in the Senate. Um, and I'm hoping that there are in the House. Uh, you know, this is a politically charged time. You mentioned it at the top. Um, you know, 2024 is a political year. It's a presidential election year. Um, all of the members of the House are up this year. Um, some some of the half of the members of the Senate um, will be engaged in campaigns. And so it's very politically charged. I, again, have a lot of fatigue when it comes to um, using all of their political power to quash the rights of a very small marginalized group of people and use them as the political football. The governor has offered a compromise of sorts. He has asked a panel of lawmakers to endorse some executive orders. He wants rules on banning gender-affirming surgeries for minors. He has asked for more data on exactly how many minors, how many adults undergo gender-affirming surgeries in Ohio. He wants to prevent what he calls pop-up clinics that perform gender-affirming care. Are, are those good compromises? Would that be something you could support? I actually let the governor know that I would be happy to weigh in on uh, that process were it to go forward. Um, I do think that I think it's a reasonable way forward. See, again, if what the issue truly is, is the safety and well-being of our families in the state of Ohio, then what the governor's outlined is um, a very direct way forward that doesn't involve political posturing, but actually deals with 
public policies uh, protecting families. The other thing I'll say is in that list that you just read, um, we want to be clear, no surgeries are currently, have currently been um, operated, the, the minors have not received surgeries. Minors do not receive surgeries in the state of Ohio. So if policy went into effect to ban those surgeries, it it would it would change nothing. It would just it would just memorialize it, which I think is fine. Mm-hmm. The governor kept falling back on parental rights in his in his news conference with reporters. Uh, and parents uh, should have a role in this decision, he says, which of course would be ideal. And most parents I I think do support their kids in their transitions, but but some do not. What should be done in those cases where parents oppose the gender affirming care of their minor child? Well, like anything where there's all kinds of situations, our court system is set up to deal with um, when children, minor children are at odds with their parents, if they can use that process. Um, but again, there has to be there has to be some kind of guardrails around policies that affect children. And so um, I think children seek out the counsel of people. Um, in one or two cases, we've seen where something actually goes to court. Um, our court systems are set up to deal with those kinds of conflicts between minor children and their parents. The governor says, and I think he, I think it's accurate that he gave this very careful consideration. You, you saw it in his in his news conference, the way it was very scripted, and it was there were a lot of pauses, and even his answers to reporters' questions. It, it perhaps gave it more public consideration than he gave other bills he he signed, perhaps reluctantly. I'm thinking of bills that loosened gun regulations after he worked to tighten them after the the Dayton mass shooting. Do you think the governor is more free to veto uh, his by his conscience, so to speak, now that he cannot run again for governor? I I hope that that's the case. Um, I I don't know because I can't see into his heart to know whether or not those kinds of decisions have that kind of Uh, consideration on them. But I would think reasonable people would say, um, if there was ever a time when what he's looking for is um, how he leaves a legacy and what kind of legacy that is, um, what I think he showed with his veto on this particular issue was that consistency for those for those themes that have come across in many of the policymaking decisions he's made in the past, you know, focusing on uh, parental rights for one. Senate Minority Leader Nikki Antonio, thanks very much for joining us here on Snellagosta. We wish you all the best in 2024. Thank you so much. You as well. Take care. We'll be right back. This new year, LifeKit wants to help you succeed because everyone needs a little help being human. It can seem so overwhelming. You're not alone. Who can I commit to being? If you want to do something, then just do it. Just take that first step. Great advice every week. Listen to Life Kit from NPR. All right, time now for our Snollygoster of the Week segment, where we honor the shrewdest politician or political move of the week. This week, it goes to the Athens City Council down in southeast Ohio. 
Last year, the council passed an ordinance banning stores from using single-use plastic shopping bags. A lot of communities around the country have done this in an effort to cut down on pollution and plastic in landfills. The law went into effect on Monday at the start of the new year. The problem is... The Ohio legislature in 2021 put a provision in the state budget that says local communities cannot ban plastic bags. And Attorney General Dave Yost is suing the city of Athens for violating that state law. The problem with that law is it would seem to violate the home rule provision in the state's constitution, which allows local communities to make their own rules. The state, of course, picks and chooses when to adhere to that provision. Fracking is exempt from home rule. Cities cannot stop that. Wind farms are not. Local officials can stop them. Same with solar farms. Home rule does not apply to local gun regulations and possibly not to those hazelnut vaping cartridges that we mentioned earlier. So it'll be first up to an Athens County judge to decide. And frankly, let's hope this gets to the Ohio Supreme Court and we once and for all can do away with the selective home rule lawmaking and enforcement at the Statehouse. But we will not hold our breath. That'll do it for this week's edition of Snelligoster, which is part of the NPR network. As always, be kind. Leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Just tell your friends about us. For our student producer, Katie Genius, our digital producer, Michael DeBonis, and our audio engineer, Dalton Jones. I'm Mike Thompson for Snellig from WOSU Public Media.